You're listening to the Sporting Heroes podcast brought to you by Radio City Talk. My name's Matt Jones and uh, this afternoon I've got someone in the studio who is a little bit different to what we've done on the Sporting Heroes uh, podcast before. I've had footballers, I've had boxers, I've had all kinds of uh, manner of uh, journalists as well. But we've never done, until now, a former snooker player. So it's a warm welcome uh, to ex-pro and current snooker coach, Neil Johnson. Hi, Matt. Uh, great to have you in. Uh, so you are a former pro, you are a current snooker coach as well. So let's talk about that life, first of all. How did you first get into snooker? Uh, well, I was a typical scouse lad growing up with the football and tennis and boxing and things like that. And then I seen a little four-foot snooker table with balls like the size of Ollie's in the shop window and got into that and you couldn't get me off it. And um, then I went on to a six-foot table. I was 12 at the time. I went on to a six-foot table. My mum and dad give their bedroom up to for, to allow that to happen. Uh, and then I just I progressed from there, went on to the big tables and went through all the amateur, the junior, the amateur game. And then you know, I, you know, I got to, I got to the pro level then. You know, so could you see or could your parents see the ability straight away? Then is that why they they gave up the bedroom for you? Uh, yeah, because I'd had a year on the little table, and uh, I'd been going to the taxi drivers club in Walton as well. Um, they, they were letting me in there, and I was I was doing quite well against their team in there and on the pool table and things. So yeah, I suppose you could you could say I had a knack for it from the start you know don't have too many snooker clubs around sadly anymore but I've read a few snooker autobiographies uh, Jimmy White's being one uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan's being another and from what I can gather going into a snooker club at a, a reasonably young age as I'm guessing you were it could be quite an intimidating environment it was it's it sort of made you at the same time <laughs> because I, I was like you wouldn't you wouldn't think so now because I don't shut up but uh, I, I was really shy as a kid and you know look at me sideways and I'd I go like a tomato, but um, it's it brings it out, and it was a it was a really good experience. And there the, wasn't many clubs letting you in at the time; you'd mm. have to go in at certain times, and you were, you were lucky if you got that. You know, you weren't skiving school like Jimmy was to play, were you? I, I might have hit under a few <laughs> tables from truant officers. <laughs> uh, the snooker world then, of course, completely different to what Barry Hearn's done to it now. Mm, yeah, I mean, he was involved at the time, but then he came away from me. And it really did need him, you know, like him or not, but it really did need him to come back into it. And there isn't as many snooker clubs now in the UK, but that's sort of starting to change again. Um, but worldwide, it's it's gone huge, you know, so. It's massive in Asia in particular, isn't it? And it's growing over there so yeah. much. Talk to me about turning professional then. How does that yeah, it go? Was a, yeah, it was, a, it was a funny one, really, Matt, because it was sort of like a bit of a case of be careful what you wish for because I spent all my teenage life trying to get there. And when I did, um, at the, at, around that time, I did, I, I, what I did find out is I, I didn't like being away from home. Uh, I love it now, but I didn't like it then. So uh, I realised pretty early on that it wasn't going to be for me and I stuck it out for two years. And because I didn't like being away from home, uh, me, you know, the game, me results were suffering. I'd been winning a lot of pro-ams as a amateur and the next step was that and it, it seemed like, you know, things were going to go well uh, and I just didn't, I didn't enjoy it. But that's what led me onto the, onto the coaching, you know. Yeah, so you're coaching in Liverpool and around Merseyside now. 
Sean Maddox, we've had him in the studio, one of the uh, protégés of your own who we've had in. Who else have you been working alongside? Uh, well, I've I've worked with many. T- t- I've been a coach for a long time now. <laughs> um, so I've I've worked with a lot of the professionals. Some of, some of them, it's sort of confidential because they don't like people, you know, don't like revealing mm. what they're working on, things like that. But a lot of the players that you see on the telly and you have done over the years, I've worked with them a lot. Uh, We've had three European champions the last five years as well, which has been really good. Um, I think three or four world records and international awards and things like that. So uh, the junior programme is really good. And obviously the other that's going really well. And the other stuff's going well with the, with the senior players as well. But um, yeah, so uh, one, one of the most surreal moments I've ever had was... So I was at, I was like the Mavericks when I first started. You know, I was more of a McEnroe than a Borg. <laughs> uh, so I, I naturally liked um, Jimmy White and Alex Higgins. And Steve Davis was this robot who no, none of them could beat at the time. And I, and I didn't really favour him. But the, the more I got into the game, the more I appreciated them. And years later, I was always trying to copy his grip. And one of the things I do with the coaching is I, I develop training devices. So uh, he was having a go, one of these training devices in front of 200 people after an exhibition once. So I found myself coaching Steve Davis on his grip, which was really strange when you grew up for 20 years trying to copy his grip. (laughs) And then you were sort of like breaking his grip down and telling them how he could do it better. And so that was a, that was a moment. That was, that was a big moment, you know, in in my coaching career, really. You talk about how uh, Liverpool has had some real success with those players that you've coached as well. It's funny because you wouldn't necessarily think of the Merseyside region as being a hotbed for snooker. Most players, if you look at the rankings, I would suggest come from further down south. Yeah, yeah, I suppose they do. But we do have a lot of very good players on Merseyside. There's just not many of them have made that extra leap and broke through. And I don't know if that's a big city thing or what. And, you know, there's a, you know, you can get distractions and that sort of thing. Uh, but it requires, like any sport, 100% commitment, you know, pretty clean life, and uh, and you've got to be consistent. You've got to with that type of life as well. And I guess uh, as well, it can be, if you are having to put a lot of practice in, it's not like football or cricket where you're around your teammates all the time. It can be quite a lonely practice environment. It can, it can, because you've got to throw in the, the solo practice as well, and that that's tough. That it really is tough, and then you've also got to find players you you, you want to spend a long, t- uh, quite you know, a lot of your day with, but they've also got to tick the boxes for helping you, you know, push on. Mm. So uh, yeah, it can be can be quite lonely. It's great when you win though, because you've sort of like you know you can take all the credit. <laughs> Absolutely, it's Radio City Talk. You're listening to Full Time, and I'm doing a sporting hero uh, with snooker coach Neil Johnson. So let's get on to uh, your sporting hero. Then you said at the top you were a typical scouse lad. You loved your, your boxing and your football, but is it a snooker person you're going to go for? Yeah, it it is have to be it is have to be Steve Davis, and the the reason for that would be uh, he changed the game and. You know, I just don't. I don't do the co- just the coaching. I do the training devices and everything else. And a lot of the things that I've achieved, I don't think. I don't think I would have touched on a lot of them things without what he brought into the game, because no one had ever seen anything like it before. And he happens to be a really good guy as well. And uh, you know, he's a he's a friend of mine as well. And he's a yeah. 
I think um, I can't see any. I can't see past Steve Davis, really. You say he's a really good guy and you know him well. Tell us about him as a person then, because his persona in the media was always boring Steve Davis. But that, from what I've seen on A Question of Sport or from snooker coverage, it's nothing like that. No, he isn't. But I, I found that out when I was 18. Um, that was like late 80s. And I, I got picked to play him in an exhibition when I was a player. And all you'd ever seen is this poker face and and, and that. And, uh, and he was uh, absolutely hilarious on the night. It was in the Broadway club. And, um, uh, well, it's, it's not a screen, the Broadway club, isn't it? And I, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing because the guy was hilarious. And he's, he showed that more and more, you know, on, uh, you know, on the telly uh, as the years went on. But yeah. He's 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 crazy. He's a really funny guy. What was it like the first time you met him? Can you remember? Well, that was the first time I met him when I, when I was eighteen, and I was at, he'd won the world title for the fifth time a few weeks before, and I was absolutely terrified. <laughs> and um, I was I was lucky to pot a few balls. I think they had to be left over the pocket for me to pot them. I was that nervous <laughs> at, the, at the time. But that was that was a great experience because for what he was then, you weren't going to bump into too many like that for a few more years, you know, and I, and I didn't until I'd done the pros. Did you play him in a competitive match then? Uh, no, <clears throat> because the two years I was playing in the qualifiers, you'd have to work you mm. had to work your way up. So you you would have had to have won at the time. You would have had to have won quite a few rounds before you bumped into the the likes of him. And uh, as as I say, that didn't uh, that one didn't happen for me. You know, I can imagine it must have been quite daunting though for whoever was playing against Steve Davis at that time because you said the word machine and he was an absolute machine uh, in the 80s. It must have been daunting sitting in the other chair on the other side of the table from him. Yeah, it was. I I, I was I was the first one to get picked as well. And we had to uh, eat a three-course meal with the this electronic scoreboard in front of me saying with my name and his on. And as you say, you got to appreciate at the time how big, how big he was. He was just unbeatable. And uh, I, I, I don't think I ate the food. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it must have been it must have been tough for everyone at that time. What he's done for snooker as well, I think, in terms of raising the popularity level, everyone can remember that final against uh, Dennis Taylor and the the millions of people that tuned in to watch that kind of viewing figures that I would imagine have barely been seen since for a sporting occasion in, in the UK. No, no, it was an amazing night. I still remember, I think I was 15 at the time. Matt. Yeah, and I still remember it. It was a, it was an amazing sporting occasion. That. And somehow Taylor won, I don't know how, but it was just a perfect storm, I think. Where do you think snooker would be without Steve Davis? Well... It, the, the standards wouldn't be anywhere near as high because he did bring this half man half machine thing into the into the game as I say no one had ever seen before and it's it's made a massive impact on the game and it's made a massive impact on me as well uh you know I've told him I've, I've told him that before he was he was he was telling me how you know how appreciative he was of what I was trying to do with these devices and you know because Golf tends to be a little bit further ahead of snooker where technology is concerned. And um, at the risk of it sounding like a mutual appreciation society, I, I I had to sort of answer back where I absolutely wouldn't wouldn't be doing anything like this without him. So, you know, what he done for the game. So, What a sporting hero to have and somebody who uh, just achieved so much at the top of the game. He was world-ranked number one for about six years. He won... 
28 ranking events, six world titles, only surpassed by uh, the great Steve Hendry as well. But uh, I would hasten a guess that if it wasn't for Steve Davis, then we probably wouldn't have had Hendry either. So a brilliant sporting hero to pick. And uh, Neil, thank you for your time this afternoon. Oh, great. Thanks, Matt. Former snooker player and current snooker coach Neil Johnson joining me to do the Sporting Heroes podcast this week. My name's Matt Jones, and uh, this podcast is brought to you by Radio City Talk. You can catch a live episode every week at 4.45 on a Wednesday by listening up here in Liverpool on 1548 Medium Wave on DAB online or on the Radio City app. Or you can just sit subscribe and you'll get a new podcast in your box every single week.